Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Bovinghausen. Well, today is Thursday, May 21st. Today is the day that the church typically uh, celebrates the ascension of our Lord. Uh, but this uh, episode is going to be talking about the ascension that will be uh celebrating for Sunday, uh, the 24th. So that's what typically happens uh, in a lot of churches is that the Ascension typically takes place on the Thursday. It's um, exactly 40 days after uh, Easter, and that falls on a Thursday. So it's always a Thursday, but the church typically um, liturgically pushes it to the next, to the following Sunday to be um, celebrated and recognized because, well, more people come on Sunday than they do on Thursdays. But, um, you know, that is that is an aspiration for a lot of churches to uh, observe Ascension on the day when it is traditionally held uh, so that on Sunday you can celebrate uh, the day that that would be for, which would be Exaudi, I believe, uh, for this coming Sunday if we were um, celebrating Ascension on Thursday today. But since that's not the case, we'll be focusing in this preparing for Sunday morning on um, the Ascension, because that's what we here at Resurrection will be uh, celebrating. So before we get too involved with that, let us uh, begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, as your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into the heavens so may we also ascend in heart and mind and continually dwell there with him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we see here from uh, the collect, there's a lot of the distillation, there's a lot of what the uh, Sunday is all about, just encapsulated right here in this collect for Sunday, which is what I just prayed. Um, I'll say it again. So, Almighty God, as your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into the heavens. Right there, very plain as day. So we may also ascend, so may we also ascend in heart and mind and continually dwell there with him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So we'll take a look at our gospel text, which is... Um, the focus for this Sunday, uh, although we will be looking at other texts that also speak to the event uh, as well, such as Acts chapter 1 and such. Uh, and then we will look at the Old Testament text, which is the story of Elijah being taken up into heaven by uh, the chariots of fire, right? and the horses of fire, right? So we'll, we'll begin with our gospel text since that is our main focus for today. And we'll try and keep this quick. There's so much that goes along with the ascension, but I'm um, trying to keep this uh, within about the half hour range so that uh, you can just glean some things, maybe think about some things and bring them with you on Sunday to listen for and maybe to apply if you hear something different and say, well, I guess you could also think of it this way. So, anyways, let's begin with uh, the gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 44 through 53. 
Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as, as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So we see here that it's not just the ascension in Luke's gospel. It's the very end of the gospel of St. Luke. And we see that, uh, we'll, we'll see that in the New Testament, that Luke ties this in to connect to Acts chapter 1, because the ascension is fleshed out a little bit more in what happens here. But it is important to take a, to take a peek at what um, Luke is talking about here in his account of the ascension uh, in his gospel. So does it just go straight on into the ascension? Jesus just blesses them and then goes up? No. What happens is that Jesus says to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He has one more thing left to teach them, right? So we see that, um, let me see here. So we see that he has one more thing to teach them, that the ascension is the last act of Jesus's public ministry here on earth, that he parts with them after he gives them one last thing to learn and to understand. And he just, he boils it down to the basic, most essential kernel of the gospel that must be proclaimed, right? And he says that in this final teaching, he's He's, um, he's teaching his disciples to employ this understanding of remembrance, right? Um, this also encourages those of us who are reading this gospel or hearing this gospel to remember all of the things that God has taught us through his word, right? Because Jesus includes the entire Old Testament here, right? The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. All these things that were written, written in these books, which is the entirety of the Old Testament, is written about Christ, right? 
that everything written about, about Jesus in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, there's an interesting aspect of this because in his teaching, it's not just about knowledge. And if you've been listening to, um, to our Bible study on Tuesdays on uh, the book of Hebrews, we, we went through uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and then um, there was verse 3, you know, we'll do all these things as far as growing in the faith if God will, you know, as God wills it. Right, um, and we see that the, that understanding is here as well, where Jesus says that there are words that were written about him in the Old Testament, but it's not about knowledge. Right, it's about the opening of our minds by God Himself. It says here in uh, Luke twenty four forty five. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, right? That this is a divine act of God to grant us the understanding, the comprehension of the, the teaching that uh, we need to have in order to understand who Jesus truly is. So um, this is also uh, paralleled in what Jesus does with his disciples in the road to Emmaus, right? He's speaking with them along the way. On the road, he's speaking and he's opening up the scriptures to them. And then uh, they still don't get it until they finally sit down with Jesus. They don't even know that it's Jesus until he says the blessing, breaks the bread, and then in the breaking of the bread, they see Jesus for who he is, right? That this is a divine gift of comprehension, of true faithful understanding. God is the only one who can grant this, and Jesus is the one who grants this. And some might say, well, Jesus is no longer here, right? That's the point of the ascension. He's no longer here on earth in the way that he was physically in his earthly ministry. And that's true. All right, that is very true. But the thing is that uh, we see in this text that Jesus grants us the very thing, or shall I say the very person, that will do the same thing in terms of um, bringing about comprehension. Right? He says uh, that, uh, verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And this is a Trinitarian statement here, right? Uh, Jesus says, you know, And behold, I, Jesus, am sending the promise, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit, of my Father upon you. So there you have the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father all together in this one sentence. That Jesus promises the Holy Spirit... And with that Holy Spirit, um, with that Holy Spirit, there is this guarantee to all of Jesus' disciples that the abiding pres presence of Christ for the mission of the gospel um, is there. You know, this, there, there's this guarantee because the Spirit is guaranteed in the promise, right? Uh, for the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ that... The Spirit is the one who testifies to who Jesus is. He points us to his death, his resurrection, and even his, his, his ascension so that we would understand what it means to be in Christ and how Christ is reigning now and is truly present in our lives 
of all the faithful and, you know, of, of um, those who are gathered around his word and sacraments especially. So um, we see here that the mission of the church as announced by Jesus depends on his promise that he will be present among his people through the Spirit, right? Jesus is no longer here physically, but he is with us spiritually. But actually, we would go even further, further than that uh, because we say that he is with us spiritually in all ways. Um, this, is, this is kind of an interesting line to walk because um, there are those out there who would say, well, Jesus is with us all the time, so therefore we don't really need to go to church, do we? Well, uh, that's taking too much liberty with what's going on here. That, that is way too much liberty being taken um, because Jesus never said that, right? He never said, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, regardless of whether you go to church and gather and pray and listen to my word. No, he says things like, you know, blessed, are, blessed rather are those who uh, hear the word of God and keep it, you know, um, that uh, do not hinder the little ones to come to me, right? For, for such as for such belongs the kingdom of God, right? That that uh, and even in Hebrews we hear um, that we should not neglect to meet together as most as some are want of doing, um, are want to do, I should say. So the mission of the church depends. Um, on the promise that Jesus will be present among his people through the Spirit, and he promises the Spirit, and we see the Spirit show up in a very magnificent way uh, in Pentecost, right, which is coming up, um, that, we'll, that we'll be celebrating uh, in the church. We'll be celebrating the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but that's not the only time the Holy Spirit is actually given, right? We see in the Gospel of John that Jesus breathes on his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit comes to God's people, to, his, to Christ's disciples, to those who believe that he is their Lord and Savior, their only mediator between them and God the Father, that the Holy Spirit comes to comfort and to be the advocate for in pointing them to Christ as the one true Savior. So we, we understand this promise of the Spirit to be given to all who believe, and that um, it's very interesting that uh, you know, Jesus is no longer here physically. And it was put to me this way, or I had heard it put this way, and I, and I use this whenever I'm teaching about this and how Jesus is present with us, that um, if Jesus were still here physically like he was with the disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension, if Jesus was still here physically in that way, glorified bodily, everything like that, but not ascended, he could be in Africa, right? Or he could be in Europe, or he could be in Russia, or different parts of Asia. He could be in America, South America, somewhere. He could be, you know, me in Texas here, me in Fredericksburg, Texas here, could say, yeah, Jesus is in, um, he's in Kenya, right? He's in Kenya, but he's not here, right? But when he ascends... The promise of the Holy Spirit means that Jesus will be with us because the Spirit is with those who believe, and the Spirit is the one who gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire church 
pointing them to Christ all the time, and Christ is with us. He says in the last chapter of Matthew, right, that, um, uh, lo, I am with you until the very end of the age, right? That's this promise that Christ is present. Now, he is present in all things and in all ways. He is with us. But there's this other understanding that we that we as Lutherans have in uh, when it comes to things like Holy Communion, right? We have this understanding of the real presence of Christ. Now, um, even Lutherans have have a, a tough grasp on this and exactly what this means. But we uh, must grab on to the understanding of what it what it means based on what Christ has said and what God has revealed through his holy word in scripture, that in the real presence of the Holy Supper, Christ is present in his body and his blood in the bread and the wine, that the bread and the wine are the body and blood of Christ. It is the very literal body and blood of Christ. Now, we don't go as far as the Roman Catholics claiming transubstantiation, but we do say that a change occurs, and it's not a magical thing that's based on the pastor and, and you know how he says it, but it is based on the word of Christ spoken over the elements. And this is not for some sort of trick. It's not so that we can worship the bread and the wine, but it is to be received as Christ has instituted it, right? That he is present. And what's the point of his presence? Is it just so that we feel warm and fuzzy inside? No. His presence is so that we would receive the forgiveness of sins. He is present, feeding you his life-giving body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You are literally eating and drinking forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It is a wonderful gift, and Christ has promised to be with us in this way, especially in the Holy Supper. That if we say, well, Jesus, Jesus is present everywhere, why do I need to come to church? Well, um, yeah, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? He has ascended into heaven, that in his blessing, he has he has given us this new status of believers that we will um, that we will that that he will always be with us, right? That Jesus is present everywhere, and if we truly believe that he is the Lord and Savior of all who believe in him and of all people, really, that he died for the sins of the world, and yet we shun his presence in the Lord's Supper. and we shun the work of the Spirit in holy baptism for the forgiveness of sins, then I think that we might misunderstand what it means for Christ to be present with us. Because Christ, like I said, is not present just for warm and fuzzy feelings. Um, Jesus is not present just to say everything's going to be okay. We need the why. Why is it going to be okay? You know why it's going to be okay? Because Jesus Christ has died for your sins, and the worst thing that could happen to you in this pandemic, in a car accident, in getting a diagnosis for cancer, in having a terminal disease, that the reason why it's going to be okay is that death is not the end for you, that Christ has secured eternal life for you, and he does so by his blood shed on the cross, and he intercedes for, on behalf of us 
uh, and he, in, he intercedes for us before the Father. Let me just say it that way. It's clear that way. Um, and now, literally, flesh and blood sits in heaven with God, with, with God the Father, right? Flesh and blood, very God of very God, is in heaven right now as we speak, and he is a part of all things and in all things and through all things, right? It's unfathomable just what this really means. But we understand this much, that because Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to guide us in all the ways of the truth, because Jesus is the truth. And he guides us on the way because Jesus is the way, right? And he guides us into eternal life because Jesus is that eternal life. So this celebration of ascension is, is, is a wonderful, beautiful thing, and we, we should pay very close attention to it and understand that because Jesus has died, died for our sins, risen for our justification, and ascended into heaven, he sits at the right hand of the Father, continually advocating for us uh, on our behalf so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, but he sees Christ, okay? A lot here, <laughs> that's, we spent most of our time on it, but hey, that's what this whole Sunday is about. It's, it's, it's ascension. Um, moving on here, uh, oh, there's, there's one, one last thing. Let me just put this one thing. And we might just spend our whole time here on the gospel. You know what, that's perfectly fine because that's what this Sunday's all about. Um, it's interesting that Jesus does say, um, that he leads them, that, that um, he says, oh yeah, he says this. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is Jesus. And he says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And it's very interesting. Why Jerusalem? What's the point of starting at Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is the place where this whole thing began, right? The, uh, the Gospel of Luke starts in Jerusalem, right? It starts in the temple. Uh, it starts with, um, I hope I'm not wrong here, <laughs> but uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Gospel of Luke starts, pardon me and my page flipping here, the Gospel of Luke, after the dedication to Theophilus, begins in the temple with Zechariah. That's right. He, Zechariah is in the temple worshiping. And how does this end? It ends with the disciples worshiping and returning to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. It begins and ends in the temple. That's a beautiful thing. Luke's gospel is a literary you know, masterpiece. It is fantastic. Um, it begins and ends. There's a lot of great themes, little tie-ins, parallels. Uh, as Dr. Just at the, at the Fort Wayne Seminary um, writes in his commentary, you know, lots of chiasms, all these you know, verbal structures that are just beautiful and really teach the faith very well. But we see here that why Jerusalem? Why do they go to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is the place of... Um, it's the place where the prophets go to proclaim their truth, to call to repentance and the salvation of the Lord, and where the prophets suffer and die, right? 
Uh, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often have I wished to gather you um, to gather you together as, as a hen gathers her brood, but you would not, right? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the place where um, the prophets are slain, right? That Jerusalem is a place where, where both um, saints and sinners simultaneously exist, right? Because not only is Jerusalem the place where the prophets are killed, and, and where Jesus himself, the greatest prophet, the, the um, prophet most high, he, he is killed. Right? He is tried and sentenced and put to death in Jerusalem. And so why on earth would Jesus send his disciples back there? Well, he sends them back there because, um, let me see here. He sends them back there because Jerusalem must be the place where this whole thing begins. That the temple of the temple that is in Jerusalem is the place where God's presence was dwelling at one point in time. And then God's presence was literally dwelling and incarnated in the in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So God's presence is no longer restricted to one location that is in Jerusalem. It is no longer in the temple. And now Jesus has them go back there to um, look at my notes here again. Oh, that's right. So um, Jerusalem is the place where the journey, this new journey that the disciples are set on must commence, right? It's, it's a journey that will, that will plunge them into persecution and suffering for the sake of Jesus's name. But it will also testify to the world that the way of Jesus is the way of life, a journey with the suffering Lord to the inheritance of his glory. That we as Christians, that we cannot avoid the suffering that God would have in our lives, but we travel through it, carrying our cross all the way and following our Lord on this path towards life. And he suffers along with us, right, to the inheritance of his glory that is won and made perfect in his suffering. So I hope that makes some sense as far as um, why Jerusalem, why begin at Jerusalem? Because now Jerusalem is no longer the place where God is centrally located, but he is located in all places by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the church is no longer bound to any single location. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit, and it is built on this um, apostolic foundation and this dominical foundation laid by Christ, and it replaces the temple as the new structure for the people of God. And so we now as Christians, we Christians are journeying pilgrims, you know. We um, should be in the world, but not of the world. That we are not of this world. We are sojourners and pilgrims in this world, and we are simply passing through, right? We are passing through all the while continually worship, worshiping Jesus, the one who has traveled the way on which we must now follow him.
He lays the path, and we follow him only by faith. Okay, so we spent a whole lot of time here on our gospel texts uh, from Luke chapter 24, so I'm just going to reference. Y'all can look at these things on, on your own because they're a little long to read, but uh, they're worthwhile. Um, the Old Testament is from 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 5 through 15. And what happens here is it's the story of how Elijah is taken up into heaven and um, the whole while he has his servant, um, he has his servant Elisha joining with him and he says, um, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, uh, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have heard you have, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they, and as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. And then we see later on how, um, you see, when, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw Elisha opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So Elisha received this double portion of, um, received the double portion of the spirit of Elijah uh, when he was taken up into heaven. And in the same way, when Jesus is taken up into heaven, when Jesus ascends into heaven, um, you know, he ascends of his own accord. He's not taken by chariots of fire, right? He ascends as he's blessing his disciples. He's, he, he, um, uh, he parts from them, right? Uh, and was carried up into heaven. He uh, goes up into heaven and he bestows to his church a double portion of his spirit to us. That this is alluding to this moment in, in, in many ways how in Christ's ascension he grants his spirit. The Holy Spirit is now granted to us and this spirit, this, this Holy Spirit guides us in all ways of truth because he is pointing us to Jesus Christ and him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, risen for our justification, right? Um, and he points us to our baptism in these things. He points us, you know, the Spirit points us to the Lord's Supper in these things as well. Um, and he points us to confession and absolution, going to our pastor and saying, you know, um, forgive me for these sins that I have committed and even the ones that I can't even, I can't even remember that I committed or that I'm not even aware that I've committed. But this one especially is burdening my heart. And, and then the pastor will say, you know, do you believe that my forgiveness is God's forgiveness? And yes, and let it be done for you as you believe, right? That hearing these things of comfort that in our baptism, we have died and raised, we, we have died and been raised with Christ. That in confessing our sins, we are unburdened of the sins that separate us from God, and we hear the explicit forgiveness that God grants to us by His Son, Jesus Christ. And then in the Holy Supper, we receive these benefits of the forgiveness of sins in the eating and drinking of the body and blood of Christ. 
Okay, so moving on to our New Testament, because we're running out of time rapidly here. We're actually over time a little bit, but I'll, I'll finish up here the New Testament lesson from Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. That um, St. Luke writes here, uh, he expands a little bit on the ascension, right? Um, that Jesus is still teaching before he ascends, and um, Luke writes, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were... Looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we also see here, um, this this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. We see here, in Acts chapter 1, our, our New Testament lesson, that there's still some misconceptions of the disciples in some way. You know, they don't have perfect understanding, but they, they say, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, as if he's some earthly ruler, right? And then Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but he does promise them the Holy Spirit, right? And this is how Luke expands this uh ascension account in in acts that it's it's expounded upon a little bit here and then as they're gazing up into heaven two men stood in white robes and said men of galilee why do you stand looking into heaven right this jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven so in this way we understand that jesus will return in the same way that we don't we well we ought not buy into the uh the issue of the rapture and these, you know, um, these predis- these these dispensationalist claims of, you know, that there there will be a second coming of Christ, which will be in the rapture. He will come and he will take those who believe those those who truly believe to leave those in the tribulation, so that they may be saved later. You know, it's just all so confusing that Jesus is going to come back one time, right? The second coming of Christ. Um, he comes back as he left. He will come on clouds with glory. We will hear the trumpet at the last day, and we will know that the war is over completely, that victory is finally proclaimed, that it is ours now, but it has yet to come to full completion and and um, fulfillment, if you will. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a now and not yet sort of thing that we live as Christians right now that God has conquered and Satan knows he's been beaten. He's just trying to he's just trying to claim as much spoils of war as he can before the end truly comes. So um, but we see here that uh, Jesus presents to himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So there's all this teaching of the kingdom of God from Jesus 
after he's risen because it's not enough just to hear it sometimes that the people needed to see it. Um, we now have to go just by, uh, by faith. And we go by faith from these faithful witnesses who have seen these things with their own eyes, right? Um, that we trust in God's word carried about by the, holy apost- by the apostles. We trust his holy word that it does not lie, that it, is, that it will grant what God promises, you know, eternal life and salvation. That in the ascension of Jesus, and we'll end here, that in the ascension of Jesus, we have the assurance of his presence with us at all times, that those who believe that he is, that Jesus is the true Christ, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, the place of power, and he has dominion over all things. When we trust in these things, the ascension shows us that Christ is with us and that he is especially with us where he has promised to be. He has promised to be where his word is proclaimed in truth and purity, and he is where he has promised to be in the water, in the washing of the water and the word and holy baptism. He is where he has promised to be in the Holy Supper with his body and his blood for us to eat and to drink for the forgiveness of sins. And he is where he has promised to be in the absolution spoken by your pastor when you confess your sins unto God and need to hear that specific direct proclamation of absolution to you in your place and time for your specific situation, right? Oh, so that's a lot. <laughs> Went a little over time, um, but I pray that this has been enlightening for you as you prepare to celebrate the ascension of our Lord. Um, God's blessings be with you. Uh, God's peace be upon you. And may God bless you in your worship this coming Sunday for a blessed ascension. And just so we have a neat and tidy ending here, we'll, be, we'll end with a blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.